Greetings and salutations, you're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to... This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I Welcome back, prom party. Hello. So glad that you are back to us. I know last week was a little bit um, out of the ordinary, but the feedback has been really wonderful, and we're so, 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 so appreciative to anyone that listened, and we're happy to those of you who did not listen and instead took care of yourselves. You should be very proud of yourself for setting safe boundaries. Yeah, that is definitely, like, the way that you need to be functioning in, like, this day and age. Yeah. So we're proud of you. And if no one has told you today, then there you go. We're we're proud of you. We're your moms today. We're your moms today. <laughs> that's that's a lie. We're not your moms. We are your troop leaders today, though. That's yeah. for sure. We're uh, going to, like, one of your, your stuck-at-home stuck sick movies today. Oh, yeah. We, we decided that since last week was so heavy that we would follow up this week with something that's a lot more lighthearted, a lot more beloved, and a lot more fun. A lot more art. Our normal speed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so too. So, you know, before we dive into today's movies, as always, if you would like to support us at This Ends Up Prom, we have a Patreon and we've been getting so many new subscribers and we're so happy that you're here with us. So thank you to everyone who has been joining. Um, if you ever want us to read your name on, on air, let us know. We've posed that and there are a lot of people that were like, I don't care or I would be uncomfortable. So, you know, just let us know. <laughs> but you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. We do minisodes, playlists, get the schedule ahead of time, lots of fun things. And uh, we're, we're just happy that so many of you have been finding the show and sending us such positive feedback, which speaking of... Um, if you don't follow us on social media, we decided that we would do a little bit of a giveaway once we hit 1,000 Twitter followers and 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Well, because uh, Harmony over here guessed, uh, guessed it on an episode of Why Our Dads. Our Dads. Our Dads. Yeah, anybody who, hello to anybody who's coming <laughs> over from Why Our Dads. <laughs> hello to friends of our dad. Nice to meet you. Um, but we kind of went through that thousand followers pretty quickly. So now we're just waiting on getting a hundred reviews on Apple Podcasts. So if you like us, uh, give us a review. It helps us, you know, kind of work the algorithm a little bit and uh, gets more people to join our prom party. So, you know, do that. It'll make me very happy. And once that happens, then we're going to give stuff away. We're going to give away art. We're going to give away shirts from Super Yaki. We're going to do a teen girl package of fun. It'll be like... I don't know, a sleepover party gift. 
Like the goodie Par- bag. Party, party favors, yeah. Yeah, party favors. It'll be a goodie bag. It's like bag. when you go to a, to a birthday party at like a Chuck E. Cheese and like the nice like rich household through that party. So then you get like sick swag. Oh, that was the best. Going to like your rich friend's birthday parties because sometimes they're like goodie bags that they gave at the end of the party as a thank you were better than the gift you gave as a birthday present. Yeah, no, I would always get invited to those just because I think the parents either wanted to show off or was like, oh, you have to invite everyone in your class. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up going to like these things where it was like a three-story mansion with like a pool in the basement. Oh, I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this? I mean, I will gladly take that pity invite if it means I get like, I don't know, a cool kaleidoscope. Yeah. That's tight. <laughs> I, rem- I remember I got invited to one of those one year and I brought a bunch of Pokemon cards as a present and that kid pulled better shit out of those packs than I ever got. Oh no. Like the first thing was like holographic Gyarados. I'm like, you little fucking dudes. <laughs> I never got anything good. <laughs> that's how that's always how it works. It's like how you never win scratch off lottery tickets when you buy them yourself. But if, like, you gift them to somebody, like, hey, happy graduation, here's some scratch-offs. Hundred dollars. Yeah, every time. That's just how it works. Remember when we celebrated Christmas by your mom FaceTiming us and scratching off lottery (laughs) tickets and then forgetting she was on FaceTime (laughs) with us and just leaving the phone? Yeah. Yeah, that That, happened. That was was fun. (laughs) Your your family parties, though, for the holidays. So, like, there's reasons people are forgetful. Yeah, that's true. And I'm glad that that's how they choose to celebrate. And... I'm glad that today we are choosing to celebrate with one of my favorite movies of all time, Troop Beverly Hills. Five, six, seven, eight. We're the girls from Beverly Hills. One, two, three, four. Shopping is our greatest skill. Five, six, seven, eight. We will fight and try real hard. One, two, three, four. Leave behind our credit card. Five, six, seven, eight. Beverly Hills, what a Beverly Hills. What a thrill. Beverly Hills. What a thrill. All day. All day. It's <laughs> it's so good. So to sort of set the stage, we're going to go back to 1989. Harmony, what was cool in 1989? Uh, there, was, there was a lot going on in 89. First, let's take a look at like some of the other movies that were released around this time. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, there actually were, unlike the past few times when we've done this and there's been no teen movie contemporaries, there are a few this time. Okay, lay it on me. So we have uh, Dream a Little Dream, starring the Corys. Mm-hmm. We have Heathers. Oh, God. We're doing that eventually. It's one of the most requested ones. But, y'all, we can't just do all the heavy hitters right out the we're, gate. We're going to blow our load early and yeah, then have nothing. Yeah, we can't do that. Then we're going to end up being <laughs> stuck with, like, super inappropriate sex comedies from, like, 1981, and everyone's going to have a bad time. Yeah, you can't. You just, just trust us. We have plans for a lot of the heavy hitters that you want. We, can't we have you, landmarks for them. We can't give you your favorite meals every day of the week because then they stop being special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like there were there were some good like teen movies that came out around the same time, which is good because Troop Beverly Hills isn't really specifically a teen movie. It's like it definitely has like a sleepover like 13-year-old girl appeal, but yeah. like younger teen. Well, the casting agent originally was not going to cast any of the girls as older than 14. That was sort of the rule that he had set. Mm -hmm. And then as many know, because Carla Gugino has talked about it in some interviews, one of which was with my nemesis, James Corden, (laughs) uh, she admitted that she was 16 when she uh, 
She just straight up lied about her age because, you know, IMDb didn't exist. So you really couldn't fact check a lot of that stuff yeah, for just kids. just take it at face value. Yeah. So uh, it was like three weeks into shooting after they'd shot enough footage. And she finally told the director, hey, I'm actually 16. And he kind of freaked out and was like, I would not have cast you if I would mm-hmm. have known that. So moral of the story, I guess. Lie about your age, Lie, I but guess. keep that lie? I don't know. <laughs> There's... But- Women in Hollywood always lying about their age. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a thing. So they're they're very early teens. Yes, like this is not high school teens. This is end of junior high into like maybe freshman year. That's pushing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there's a lot of other movies that came out. Uh, some of them I don't recognize. Some of them I recognize for wrong reasons, like Police Academy Six <laughs> or uh, Cannibal Women of the Avocado Jungle of Death. Which I only know about because Elvira did an episode on it, mm-hmm. and uh, that actually has Bill Maher in it. Well. Yeah, it's it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's not good, which is why it's perfect for an Elvira episode. Mm-hmm. And then other things like um, Leviathan, mm-hmm. Scandal, mm-hmm. Skin Deep. Mm-hmm. Any of these ringing bells for you? They ring bells for me, but it'll just end up in a weird conversation where I talk about movies that not a lot of people have seen, and you just go, okay. And that's not good for a podcast, so I'm just going to leave <laughs> that's it That's bad that. TV. That's bad TV. <laughs> yeah, so like it was, a, it was a good month for teen movies, at least, mm-hmm. specifically. They at least had options, unlike usually. It's like, this is the only one, because you know John Hughes has a monopoly on release dates or something. Which is funny, because like, Heather's and Troop Beverly Hills, I think were not well received at the time they were not so yeah there's options but nobody liked them at the time i guess (laughs) uh so let's take a look at some of the music that was coming out around this time normally we look at like number one singles but i decided to mix it up a little bit because like let's pull from different sources each time it keeps it exciting here were some of the big albums that were released at the time like in march of 1989 Mm -hmm. you have uh, that one millie vanilli album (laughs) girl you know it's true Oh, the scandal. You have Like a Prayer by Madonna. Also a scandal. Oh, the scandal of that. Okay. So, like, that's cool. Okay. Uh, then you have, like, some early hip-hop, like De La Soul, The Ghetto Boys. So, like, there was some cool stuff going on. Uh, maybe not Like a Prayer era of Madonna at, like, this younger teen age. But, like, this really was the... Um, the Lil Nas X of its time, now wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, but if I'm going to be honest, as much as I love and respect Madonna making out with Black Jesus, I am more apt to enjoy Lil Nas X going on a pole to hell to just twerk on the all devil. the way down onto Satan. It's so good. Like, there's just, oh my God, the, the, the punches that were not pulled and don't get me wrong, that's, I don't like Madonna very much, but, like, that's her best song. But, like, oh, yeah, no, pop music. What a way we've come since 1989. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> and our, uh, our, our final stop on revisiting March of 89. Normally, I look at teen magazines, but since this stars Shelley Long, we're going we're gonna to look at a Cosmo. Oh, okay. Are you going to read me the cover of a Cosmo? Uh, I'm going to read you the cover of a Cosmo because it actually is quite relevant. Because, uh, you know, this movie, Shelley Long's going through a divorce with Craig T. Nelson. And basically, the cover of this Cosmo is all about that. Because I guess married couples were just having the worst time at that point in the 80s. <laughs> so we have a long-term lusty sex, take the monotony out of monogamy. Oh. You have a 
How I got him back, 25 women tell exactly what worked. I'm willing to bet that becoming a troop leader for some Girl Scouts was not on that list. But it should be, anyway. And our final bit of this Cosmo, we have Paul Newman, why the star blazes brighter than ever. (laughs) Paul Newman being on the cover (laughs) of Cosmo is a sentence I didn't know I needed to hear, but I'm very glad that I know it exists. Yeah, so there you go. That's that's the kind of magazine Shelley Long might have been reading this month. Beautiful, just, you know, tuckered away in beautiful robes with Evian bottles and a Cosmo, reading about keeping your man and Paul Newman. Yeah, that's pretty aces, right? I mean, that's how I hope to be when I'm... uh, She's like 32. She's not even that old. I know. We're about her age now. Oh, my God. Well, it's because everyone had kids way younger, and I'm never having kids. So, (laughs) you know, that's that's a whole thing. Well, neat. Now that we've we've set the stage where I, I feel I feel like I've transported into a little bit of an episode of I Love the 80s. I have a good grasp on what's going on. So let's talk about the movie. According to our friend Dango, and for those of you out there who have never seen True Beverly Hills, pause, what are you doing? Go fix that. But with her marriage breaking up, Beverly Hills housewife Phyllis Neffler, Shelley Long, boosts her self-esteem by leading a local troop of wilderness girls, because Girl Scouts of America is obviously copywritten. Mm-hmm. Although Phyllis's version of roughing it is spending the night at the Beverly Hills Hotel that suits her privileged troop members just fine. Unfortunately, when Phyllis falls afoul of a rival leader, the girls are threatened with having their group dissolved unless they can prove their wilderness skills at the annual jamboree. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great description. That's one of your better ones, Fandango. I'm proud of you. Congratulations. <laughs> so, Harmony, what was your knowledge of this movie until I showed it to you? I was not aware that this movie existed before you showed it to me because this was a fairly early in us dating movie. Mm-hmm. You weren't living with me yet, and I think you were mad at, like, your business partner or something. You you were having a bad day. I don't remember exactly what was what it was about, but you were like, "Do you want to watch this movie? I used to watch it when I was homesick, and it makes me feel better." And I was like, "Sure, I like Shelley Long. Let's, I'll watch it. Why not?" And I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much. That makes me really happy because if there's one superpower that I like to believe that I have, it's that I. I'm really good at introducing people to movies that just make you feel good, which is weird considering my entire career is based on horror movies, which for a lot of people do not make them feel good at all. But I think that my grasp of horror and finding catharsis in things that are so, you know, on the surface negative has made it really easy for me to be like, this movie just feels like sunshine and it's going to make your day brighter. Please enjoy. It stars Shelley Long. And baby Jenny Lewis, you're welcome. (laughs) I mean, I I think I have that superpower, too, because I'm all about movies that bring the fun. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, I can tell you what a fun movie is. It might be real stupid, but I can tell you what a fun movie is. (laughs) We're here for a fun time, not a smart time. Oh, God. Put that on my tombstone. I say it all the time. (laughs) It's truly the most profound thing I've ever uh, ever uttered. I feel like the first This Ends at Prom merch is going to say we're here for a fun time, not a smart time. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Call a blazer party. I oh God, I love Trooper of the Hill so much. So you know what? Let's let's get our hands dirty. Let's dive in. Our lead is not a teen girl, but is someone that I feel like I aspired to be as a teen girl. So let's talk about Phyllis Neffler. Lay it on me. How do you feel about Phyllis? So you showed me a TikTok recently that 
was a trans woman saying there was there was a long series of jokes in a in a fairly winding monologue, but the basic takeaway from it was all trans women want to grow up to be Barbie, uh, fucking doy, and. I don't know how that true that is for anybody else, but like that's kind of true. But I don't want to be Barbie. I want to be Phyllis Neffler. <laughs> when I grow up, I want I want to be Shelley Long. <laughs> Phyllis Neffler's transition goals. <laughs> yeah, isn't she though? <laughs> she really is though. But that's a really fun way to say it. I love her. She is so cute and so fun. And every time we watch like a very specific brand of '80s movie, I just fall in love with the fashion. Because the 80s was really good at not having clothes be practical because everything is a costume. And every single one of Shelley Long's outfits in this movie is a costume that you could never conceivably wear out. So the costume designer for Troop Beverly Hills is a woman named Theodora Van Runkel, which is a phenomenal name. The most costume designer name I think I've ever heard in my life. I love it. And, uh, Shelley Long was talking about, um, you know, being Phyllis Neffler and says, Theodora pulled out a dress which she had rebuilt. And I thought, oh, my Lord, how do you even wear that? <laughs> it was a beautiful pastel dress which stuck out at the sides. I put it on and even though the dress had to be altered, I knew immediately who Phyllis was. She is someone who is not embarrassed by her femininity. She loves being female in outrageous and loving ways. She loves to promenade. I don't think there were many cinematic characters of late who are so openly female and enjoying it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a frustration I have with like the quote unquote strong female archetype as she's written where you're not really allowed to have. I I think we talked about this for a little bit actually in last week's episode with Promising Young Woman where you have strong female characters and they're not allowed to be like high femme. They're not Mm. allowed to be like very womanly. We've associated strength with masculinity for so long that Whenever people talk about, um, like, one of my favorite female characters of all time is Ellen Ripley, as I feel like is for for most people. Because Ripley's amazing. Yeah, Ripley rules. Um, But whenever people say things like, yeah, can you believe it? Ripley was originally written to be a man. That's not the compliment that you think it is. That also makes a lot of sense. Like, it makes complete sense. And the reasons that I love Ripley are numbered and nuanced Mm -hmm. but the idea that the only reason that ripley is so cool is because she was originally written as with like a man in mind i think is really minimizing one the power of sigourney weaver and two it sort of sets the standard that the only way that women characters can be cool is if they are inherently masculine and Again, of course, there's nothing wrong with having, like, butchy characters. Like, that's no. great. But the problem... Look at Vasquez. Yeah, look at Vasquez. <laughs> Fucking so cool. <laughs> so cool. I mean, problematic, because that's definitely not a Latinx actor. No, but... But, but as far as the characterization yes. in regarding to, like, playing with gender politics, I understand that. But it's the same thing, like, the big issue we were all having with, like, Lola Bunny. Like, the issue with Lola Bunny, like, losing her boobs, even though... Drawing wise, they were never that large. Like the like the reference photo people kept using was definitely some like fanfic like. It, it, it was something drawing. to beat your meat to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But they really did. They took away, you know, her her breasts, which is we. Sh- I don't know why we're giving titties to anthropomorphic animals anyway. But this idea How will you know of they're women then. 
if they don't have titties. If they don't have titties or a bow and eyelashes, how do I know? Yeah. But, you know, even the director saying, yeah, we wanted her to be strong instead of sexy. And it's like, why can't she be both? Like, you don't need to take away her chest to make her strong. Like, having a chest doesn't make you suddenly not strong. Like, there was this great tweet I saw on... uh, one of my friend's pages that was like the most intimidating women I've ever met are five ten with double D's. And I'm sitting here like five, four with some H's and I'm like, yeah, cause I could, I could kill a man and I could hide his limbs under my bra and mm-hmm. no one would know. Mm-hmm. I've seen you hide entire bottles of liquor in your titties. Yeah. I'm a great person to hang around with. If you want to party, I can hide <laughs> everything. It's like Mary Poppins bag. You never know what's coming out of there. Yes. But I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke you a little well, bit. A little bit. It's fine. It's cool. This is this. It's we'll do it live. So I uh, I actually want to bring up one of my favorite female characters in all of fiction, and she is uh we'll, we'll say a bit controversial because there's some very very differing opinions on her as a character. But anybody who has ever played the video games Bayonetta, mm-hmm. you understand this character. For anybody who hasn't, uh, quite simply, Bayonetta is an Umbran witch whose job is to hunt and murder angels. Cool. Love that. Like, we talked about Lil Nas X earlier. Great. Kill angels. Like, that's the kind of... Pro-Satan. Great. Awesome. Fantastic. (laughs) But she, as a character, is extremely high femme. Mm -hmm. Especially in the second game where she got like a sporty, like short haircut and she's going out and like beautiful evening dresses and doing shopping for Christmas and Bayonetta 2 is technically a Christmas game. But she is very in love with like herself. She's confident. She gets naked a lot. There's a lot of framing of her that is, people see as fan service. And I don't fully agree with that. I mean, I, I can see it, but I think it's somebody who's just really in love with their body and loves being feminine and really embraces that because she never does any of this to like the performance of male characters. She dances on like the corpses of dead angels because it's fun to her. And <laughs> and Shelley Long in this movie <laughs> is not sexualized. No. At all. But she is feminine and there is like this underlying sexuality to just the, the, the function of femininity. Shelley Long and Phyllis Neffler as a character in this movie are the definition of like feeling yourself. Mm-hmm. Like that's I love that. That's really what it is. Like there is something so drag about this character because it almost feels like a caricature of what we view as, you know, femininity to the point where um <laughs> in Finland True Beverly Hills' title is Beverly Hills in Bimbo Party Show. <laughs> Just calling out the fact that this oh. is this is an act of kind of like bimboification almost. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's a lot of power in that. I personally aspire to be a Midwest bimbo someday. Like, we... We all have dreams. That's mm-hmm. one of mine. Like, I want to be that person. So we both just want to be Shelley Long? I don't want to be Shelley Long. I just want Shelley Long's energy. Okay, no, I get like, that. If like Elvira and Phyllis Neffler had a baby, like that's where my comfort zone is. That's where I want to be. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying um, with that. And this energy is very at home with a lot of movies we've actually covered already and some some glaring omissions we have yet to cover. But Phyllis Neffler is a legally blonde, a house bunny, a clueless type character. Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the vibe she gives off. And... 
maybe she has like a ditzy vibe, but she's not stupid. No, Phyllis Nessler is not stupid. No, she's maybe privileged and not the most worldly, but -hmm. she's not dumb. Mm -hmm. So this is somebody who is now really reveling in the fact that she's on top. I mean, there's discussions here and there between her and... Uh, her her husband, Mr. Craig T. Nelson, mm-hmm. and they talk about how you know she was clipping coupons to pay his way through law school and like doing all these things. So clearly, this is not who she's always been. But yeah, now she that she hustle. now that she has the money and doesn't have to want for anything, she's embracing that. And I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Enjoy the fruits of your labor for well, I guess the fruits of your husband's labor, <laughs> right. but you helped get him there, right? So you know, sit back for a little bit, I guess. Hey, I went shopping, Buster, to furnish your perfect house, to build your perfect image, to be your perfect Beverly Hills wife. And you think I've changed? How about you, Fred? I coupon clipped your way through law school so you could make a difference in the world. Not so you could be Neffler the Muffler Man. Hey, those commercials were your idea. And I didn't hear you complaining when you were spending the Muffler Man's money. I mean, I know it's not a really important job, you know, like uh, being a wilderness girl. I don't expect you to understand how much this means to me, or to Hannah, or her little friends, who happen to need me, even if you don't. And obviously there's, you know, much to be said about eat the rich, and, you know, all of that is valid. But when Mm -hmm. it comes to a character like Phyllis, I think we're getting the nuanced approach to people with wealth. Like she's not this like rich, evil person. She just doesn't exactly know how to, you know, redistribute those resources. But at the same time, she's she's really trying, which I think is also a valid criticism of a lot of like white feminism of, oh, they're trying. Oh, they're trying. Mm -hmm. But to see a character like this in 1989 is pretty groundbreaking of being unafraid of femininity, but also not resting on the fact that you do have the money. I mean, we even see that with the the cookie sale where they have to sell these 2,000 boxes to get them all to the jamboree and, you know, the, the red feathers, which I will absolutely dive on that bullshit mm-hmm. uh, at one point. But after they've sort of ruined it for them, all of the other rich parents are like, well, why don't we just buy them for them? And she has that moment where she goes, you know, I thought about that, but also that kind of defeats the purpose, mm-hmm. which I really like because mm-hmm. I think in any other movie, that would be the response of these like richy rich type characters where they would just be like, okay, well then we're just going to buy it and here you go. We're done. We don't have to work for anything. But she's like, yeah, no, we have the means to do it, but that doesn't mean that we should be exploiting those means. Well, and I appreciate that about her. That's the point of Girl Scouts, right? Like the whole point of the cookie sale is to basically teach young girls like business skills mm-hmm. kind of yeah it's like, entrepreneurship as well as community building and i mean who doesn't want them like the girl scouts really have nailed it when it comes to that because boy scout popcorn is bullshit yeah. and not good i was a boy scout and oh god so <laughs> here's here's a couple things like let's talk about being scouts here for a sec let's take a little mm-hmm. bit of a detour here I was a Boy Scout for, I mean, all the way up to, I I don't know what level I gave up on, but like I was a Boy Scout for probably like five, six years, maybe like for a good chunk of time. And I think every single year we sold popcorn, nobody wanted to buy it. Like they bought it because it was like, ah, it's my coworker's kid. Fine. I'll buy the popcorn. Or like we would need to hit a certain amount to go on like a camping trip. And my parents would be like, um, 
I don't know, let's buy, we'll, we'll just buy the rest ourselves so that it's done. Like, there was no joy in the Boy Scout popcorn thing. And then we would go on camping trips and sit in, like, a cold-ass tent that we brought ourselves. And we would always have the question of, like, you know, they promised if we sold enough, we would get, like, to go, like, rock climbing or, like, canoeing or, like, axe throwing or, like, all of these, you know, little things that they said we would do. And then we don't do it all. It's very strange. And um, found out years later that my uh, troop leader had embezzled much money from the Boy Scout troop that we were a part of. Yikes. Yeah, that's, that's bad. surprisingly not as uncommon as you might think it is. So, yeah, Scouts sucked. Like, the most cool thing about Boy Scouts was, like, the Pinewood Derby, which I didn't even get to build my own car because my dad wanted to build it because he likes winning. Which I think is, like, don't get me wrong. There are definitely the over-the-top, like, Girl Scout moms in the same way that we see, like, pageant moms or dance moms or whatever. Like, that's a very typical thing. But what we don't talk about enough of are like those hardcore dads that, yeah, absolutely take over the Pinewood Derby from their kids, the ones that get red carded at Little League games. Like, we don't talk about them nearly as much. Like, there's no, like, cute We're not as harsh name. on dads. There's no colloquialism for dads that act that way. Yeah. Because, like, it's just a dad thing, I guess. It's like, good. Look at him uh, taking an interest in his child's life. <laughs> the bar is so damn it's low. So damn, because, it's so damn low that Craig T. Nelson doesn't do that for his kid the entire movie. No. And yet we're just like, but Craig T. Nelson's so charming. Yeah, he doesn't take any interest in what Hannah's doing or any sort of promotion of her doing the stuff with the scouts to the point when, um, I mean, wilderness girls, but whatever. But uh, even when he shows up at that meeting where Phyllis is talking about the cookie plan, he's there for like two minutes and then leaves. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, got his new like young hot girlfriend or whatever. And he's talking to her about it. And he's like, yeah, she wanted me to stay for, you know, this meeting for Hannah's troop. And the young girlfriend is like, she just takes, takes, takes from you. Doesn't give you any time to yourself. And he's like, yeah, but you know, yeah. And he, what he she'll mean, always be my wife. Yeah, what he means to say she'll always be my daughter, but that's not what comes out because clearly he's thinking about Phyllis. Uh -huh. But even then, he doesn't stay to support his daughter. He just is like, well, got my hot new girlfriend with her cool pink gloves. Time to go. Yeah, there's a point where you see him interact with her maybe, I don't know, three times across the entire movie. Once in the very beginning, she's doing, like, some balance beam stuff. He's like, I'm here to get my dumbbells from my house. I paid for. And then, like, maybe, like, once in the middle and then again at the end. But, like, he is so not really an involved dad at yeah. all. And which it breaks my heart because his daughter has the goofy fucking muffler man poster of him hanging in her bedroom. And I want that poster because it's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, oh, and I've been looking for like a good close-up image of it or print or something, and it just does not exist. But I would absolutely have a poster of Craig T. Nelson in a muffler suit in my house because it's hilarious. I would keep a picture of that in my wallet <laughs> so I could just have it <laughs> on me at all times. That's a great choice. Thank you. But yeah, no, talk to talk to me about your scout experience here, here for a sec because I always would have rather been a Girl Scout because the activities mm -hmm. seemed more of what I wanted to do. Because, like, the best thing with Boy Scouts, like, they would really... It, it was a lot of, like, car salesman, like, hype. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, hey, we're going to go camping and you're going to sit in the cold and it's going to give you a sore throat and you're going to have a bad time, but we're going to have Paul Bunyan breakfast. So the thing that I've always really loved about Girl Scouts of America 
it, so I was not a scout for very long because it conflicted too much with my baton schedule. Mm-hmm. Because as we forget, I was an elite athlete. So, it, you know, took up all of my time. Mm-hmm. But in my short time in scouts, the things that I was able to learn were a lot of practical skills, which I know a lot of people look down on as like, oh, that's women's work. But, like, you know, like home ec kind of. Yeah, like I could sew a button. Um, I knew how to braid. I knew how to cook certain things. I knew how to. Wait, where's that coming into play now? I don't have to now because I have someone who cooks better than I. So best let the professionals do their work. I am not a professional cook. I'm a professional bartender. (laughs) That's very true. Um, But it was, you know, a lot of practical skills. But more importantly, so much of it was dedicated to community outreach as Mm -hmm. well as community service. And that is something that has always been really important to me. And that was also a big reason why I was involved in pageants for so long. Because if you won the pageant, like, congrats, you just signed up for a year of service. Oh, great. Which I enjoy. I oh, en- really? Yes. Right. I enjoy doing that sort of thing. When you say service, it just sounds so mandatory. <laughs> well, I, there's, n- it's all like philanthropic endeavors. It's like when you're doing things like Girl Scouts, it's like, all right, it's Christmas time. We're going to go do you know, we're going to deliver meals to the elderly that are in, you know, what are like the old folks home in assisted living. We're going to do crafts with them because they, you know, they're not getting very many visitors around the holiday or we're going to sing Christmas carols with them, not at them, but with them. Stuff like that always really meant a lot to me as a kid. And the ability to be able to do that through both Girl Scouts and through pageantry, I think is something that I am glad that I got to experience as a child because I, it, taught me to one understand the different people that lived in my area that may be outside of my neighborhood people that I wouldn't see very often but more importantly it also taught me how to communicate with people who were different from me because our troops were you know from girls from all different neighborhoods and that was really really impactful for me because I think so frequently people don't get to experience a lot of life or world outside of where they directly are Mm -hmm. or, you know, even just in their own neighborhoods or their own school districts, what have you. So they don't know how to interact with the world. And I think that that's, that's, that's sad. And I think that's also what contributes to a lot of the problems that we're dealing with now is that people just, they just don't know people outside of themselves. Yeah. And I, (sighs) That's a thing that I've kind of had to pick up on more in my teen years than when I was a bit younger because the way stuff like that was always framed towards me was um, it it was it was very very self centered in a way where we as like youth groups for church or like Boy Scouts or whatever would have to go and go visit like the elderly or something like that at like a nursing home. And, you know, um, the giving tree, mm-hmm. you ever have a parent guilt you with the giving tree? People listening, like, if this has ever been a thing for you where it's like, oh, yeah, like, the giving tree is basically like, hey, feel guilty for your parents for taking care of you by taking care of them and shit like that. Yeah, like, the way it was always set up was like, hey, um, one day your parents are going to be old and who's going to take care of them? Like nobody, like, because these people are just sitting here on alone and no one visits them at the nursing home. And it was like almost like a scared straight program. That's so upsetting. It is. And that was a very similar thing for like when we had to go to like help at soup kitchens and stuff 
where it was like, hey, this is like a cautionary tale. Mm. Like, let's just see how how the other side of the tracks are so that, you know, you learned that, like, maybe you don't have it so bad. Like, it was bad. That's weird weaponization of people in differing circumstances. I can't. And the thing, that's such a common thing. Yeah. It is so frustrating. That was like, that was me having to like recorrect things when I got to high school where it was like, oh, oh. And it was very sobering to to see this stuff not be so um, malicious, I guess. And what's interesting is we get a little bit of that in this movie through a couple of circumstances. So one, there's the threat that because Phyllis is going through this divorce, that she's going to be cut off from, you know, Neffler the Muffler Man's money. Mm-hmm. And the, he makes a lot of cracks at her about that. Is like, yeah, enjoy it while it lasts because soon you're going to be shopping at Pick and Save. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with shopping at Pick and Save. Calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to shame people because they can't afford all of these name brand things. That's rude. And I know that it, he's trying to dig at her specifically because she does enjoy the nicer things in life. Oh, yeah. She buys like a $5,000 dress in the opening credits. Right. Like, he... I understand why he's saying it, but the impact is, you know, as, you know, as a kid growing up, I never fully got on board with him because of stuff like that, because I'm like, I want my things at Kmart too. I use layaway. Fuck you. And it just was really bothersome to me. Um, But then we also see that with, you know, one of the girls in the troupe who doesn't have as much money as the rest of the girls because yeah, her dad's like a washed up type actor. I don't think he's washed up as much as I think he's just not been able to kind of catch a break recently. Like he's somebody who had like a really cool hit and then just didn't do anything for a little bit. Yeah. I wouldn't say washed up. Okay, well. But just un- currently not working. Yeah, I he guess hasn't worked for a bit. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's frustrating when... You know, you have the girls that they understand that she doesn't have as much money and like they're aware of it. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of like empathy. They just sort of like, yeah, we'll pay for it for you, which is nice. Yay, mutual aid. Big fan of that. Just Mm -hmm. give her money because that's what she needs. But then you have something that's so wonderful in that like Phyllis then uses that privilege she has to be like, oh, you are struggling with money because your dad's out of work. Well, this other girl in the troupe, her dad is a, is, is a filmmaker and he's a director. I'm going to connect your dads. And then he gets, you know, to play this, what is assumed to be like a godfather. I think they call yes. him the mob father. But Phyllis is like, I'm using my privilege for good. Let me connect these two. So now everybody can be happy and successful and rich. Yeah. Which I love. I... I love it too because this movie is like it's it's very funny and it frames it very well, but I think that that might be one of the reasons this was so poorly received at the time because this movie has like a twenty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is criminally low. Mm-hmm. This movie is so consistently funny throughout; like it's just constantly hitting you with funny bits the whole movie. And I think that what this movie's strongest aspects are, in hindsight are also the things that kind of brought it the most grief at the time. This has, like, Pee Wee Herman and Pia Zadora and the lifestyles of the rich and famous guy. And, like, this is a snapshot of a very particular time in the 80s. And that time in the 80s is very excessive. It's Mm -hmm. very rich and very glamorous. And I think maybe around this time, people were getting kind of fed up with that because they were starting to notice like the really, really wide divide that occurred during like the Reagan years. And this is also coming out in a time where we're making a lot of these like really flashy things 
I think, glamorizing Hollywood and Beverly Hills. And oh we, yeah, we do not glamorize Beverly Hills anymore. Yeah, we. But just we did don't. for a while. We just don't. And like Tori Spelling's first role is in this. She's one of the the Culver City Red Feathers. She has like a line. She has like a couple lines. <laughs> but she was cast in Beverly Hills 90210. I think like the next year, which is wild mm-hmm. to me. Um, but yeah, we really don't glamorize Beverly Hills the way that we once did. I think now we're a lot more open about like, hey, here's a a lot of the issues that exist in this city. Like, yeah. Um, but like, speaking of, let's let's bring this down to like a small scale thing here for a second. Not to like ignore those problems or like swipe them under the rug, but. As far as like what Phyllis is actually doing with her very, very specific philanthropic efforts is that she's helping children that are being neglected by the bad version of the 80s parents that are so caught up in their own like indulgent lives that they don't pay any attention to their children. That's a really great point too that I think does not get discussed enough about this movie is that a lot of these kids, yes, they have money, which because of that comes with privileges. But a lot of them are coming from these very broken kind of families. Mm-hmm. I mean, because we have, you know, even a joke being made by Jenny Lewis's character, Hannah, so Phyllis's daughter, you know, can you guys just get your, like, get it together so I'm not in therapy twice a week like Tess? And, you know, so they're aware that, you know, hey, your life is so screwy that, you know, you're seeing a therapist as a child, which there's no shame in seeing a therapist as a child. I definitely did. I suggest more people do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's good for you. But you have that situation. You, you know, we have the girl that we discussed earlier who's not coming from a lot of money. Um, Carla Gugino's family, she's, you know, Chica. Her parents just straight up abandon her on her birthday because they have to go in some business and it never occurs to them. You're leaving your kid alone on your birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the girls, her parents, her parents, her dad's a dictator <laughs> and like they just joke about it, but it's never fully addressed that like your your dad's like a political dictator. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just like the idea that they're being constantly neglected by like a revolving door of dead mothers. Yes. And they who treat them like almost like a like a puppy for Christmas, where mm-hmm. they all the girls say it like, yeah, we're not gonna get uniforms, we're not gonna really get chummy or care because you're gonna get bored with us and leave like everyone right. else has. Yeah, and it's, I think that it's a really interesting way to look at it, especially when the girls are hyper aware that other people think they're a joke, and I think oh, that's yeah. one of the hardest things, especially within the terms of like the Wilderness Girls program. Like they all clearly want to be there. But they're used to everybody treating them, you know, like like the Bad News Bears or like the Mighty Ducks. Like this is one of those few examples that you're getting like the lovable misfits. But there's n- the lovable misfits in this are just that they're not, you know, hyper-masculine. The craft fair, we made complete fools of ourselves. Those creepy red feathers laughed in our faces. They had a right to. Did you see all those patches? Yeah, they know how to do everything. We can't do anything. Let's face it. We're weird. We're losers, really. I hate to say it, Mom, but you know it's true. Okay, we're not robust mountain women as yet. But that doesn't mean we can't be Cracker Jack wilderness girls. With plenty of patches. We could make up our own patches. Couldn't we, Annie? Pardon? I'm sure it's very nice to know how to live in the forest and eat bark, but I'm going to show you girls 
how to survive in the wilds of Beverly Hills. Yeah, but also beyond that, I think that they're being mocked because this is the Beverly Hills troupe, which is, you know, the bougie rich part of L.A. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have characters like Velda or the the, the general mindset of like Velda's daughter or Tori Spelling's character in Mm -hmm. The Red Feathers, where they're like, oh, yeah, you're the Beverly Hills troupe. What practical, what use could you ever have for practical skills? You don't have to Mm -hmm. actually do anything. You just, you're never going to be in the woods. You're never going to need this. And... Obviously, there's definitely some truth to that, and that's why we all have these, you know, kind of LOL, eat the rich, rich sort of mentalities around a lot of things. But these are also children. They yeah. don't control what they're born into. Well, yeah, let's like bring that back to our uh, Pretty in Pink thing where, mm-hmm. you know, these kids didn't ask specifically to be born into rich families. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a choice. Yeah, they just happened to be. So like, they haven't gotten to a point where they're like, they're snooty and rich and awful. They're not like um, the one girl from from Willy Wonka yet. Yeah, they're not. They're not Veruca Salt yet. Yeah, they're not like that. They're just like some normal kids who happen to have money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really interesting. Where you normally have like a Mighty Ducks tip situation, where those are like the kids from like the poorest section yeah. who don't even have a practice rink. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, the misfits in this one are rich. Mm-hmm. which is, I guess, puts them in, like, the 1% of, like, hey, you're misfits because you have more money than everyone else, which is really interesting. And I can't say that I would have wanted a story like that, but I like it in this movie. I think the reason that it works so well is because they're constantly aware of it, too. And, like, even down to all of the patches that they get – And Velda is, you know, so quick to say that, like, none of these are worth a shit. But a lot of the skills that they're developing, they are really practical. The way that I look at this movie, in all honesty, especially with the patches, is that this movie is like, these are all trades. This is a trade school. Yeah, these are are business skills. Yes, the wilderness girls are teaching essentially trade skills. Does everyone need to know how to be able to, you know, quote unquote, survive in the wilderness and hunt animals and do these things. No, not everybody does. Does everyone need to know how to spot fake jewelry? Exactly. No, not everybody (laughs) does. But if you have a skill like that, there's value to what you do. And I think that that's a really cool way to treat it is that, you know, there's the foreign affairs patch. That's a usable skill that I think more people could could benefit from yeah i think that that's great and super smart and then they do also have like the typical you know charity sort of work of we're gonna go hang out at the old folks home and we're gonna dance, dance the freddy we're gonna do the freddy and dance Which is and the, do things one of like the that. dumbest dances <laughs> um so you have you know that typical sort of look of philanthropy but at the same time they're learning skills that i think so many people have devalued because they are so easily associated with women, like the skills that they're learning and the things that they're embracing. Um, obviously, it's made a joke, like, you know, True Beverly Hills shopping is our greatest skill. Like, yeah, that's a joke. Mm-hmm. I get that. But things like learning how to spot fake jewelry, learning how to make backpacks that can also be used as wardrobes, like all of these things are really inventive and cool. Or selling cookies, not by just going door to door, but throwing a jamboree, like this big, beautiful gala, or performing and singing and dancing. Or meeting outside of the Jane Fonda workout thing. See, the one thing, like, I want to hate that scene, but I don't hate that scene because, one, I would absolutely be that bitch who buys 
cookies outside of the gym. You should be working out not to lose weight, but to get in shape. Or to just make, if it makes you feel good. Yeah, like you should be feeling good either in your body or like, hey, man, my lungs are getting better. or I'm getting a little more muscle. Like I'm tired going up our like 10 stairs to our apartment right now. I would love to just work out and feel better, not lose weight. <laughs> right. Like it, it's it's so silly. But that scene also, it's not just like fat women who are buying cookies from them outside the gym. There's some thin women that do it too. Yeah, and I'm like, fucking everyone loves those cookies. That's right. Because cookie the, time is that's all the, the time. universal truth. Everybody loves cookies that are being sold to you by Girl Scouts because they're delicious. Cookies were not a sometimes food yet. <laughs> that's very true. But okay, like let, speaking of like vocational skills, like this is a weird classist thing where I think about growing up in school and my parents would go ahead and essentially like, throw, you know, quote unquote, unskilled workers under the bus of like, hey, if you don't go to school, if you don't work real hard, you're going to end up working at a gas station like your cousin. Or when you hit um, sophomore year, you had the option of continuing to go to like, you know, the standard high school that you went to, or you could go to the vocational school. And like you go be like a mechanic or an electrician, and you would learn those skills there. And the impression of that by people in my school, which like, you know, why would I have a reason to question that? That's what everyone thought was, oh, yeah, if you're too stupid to do math or you don't know how to read well enough, then you go to the vocational school and you go learn like to be a plumber. And it's like, dude, plumbers make like $70,000 a year. Right. (laughs) Yeah, we have a similar program too in high school. And like, I remember they used to make fun of like the greaser kids that were like, oh, they're all going to be mechanics. Oh, losers. What failures. Yeah. And they're going to take you for a ride because you don't know about cars. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, they all had like really well-paying jobs immediately upon graduation. Like, I do not understand this need to just shit on practical It's it's not even entirely just shitting on practical, but it's like you, this movie, okay, so this movie is flipping the script on that, but it's really just telling a story about judging people for having skills that you don't deem practical. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the heart of it. So Velda treats Phyllis like crap and like thinks she's very like frou-frou and can't like survive in the wild. And don't get me wrong, she is not necessarily a fan of it, Mm -hmm. but like... She speaks French. She's able to apply, like, her practical skills of understanding where stores lie to tell, like, east and west on, like, Mm -hmm. a compass. Like, she's able to apply the things she knows in context that they're not normally in. Mm -hmm. And Velda, to me, is definitely that she's such an anti-femme character. I think she's she's a really great character. Oh, she's a fantastic villain because she's, like, the worst second-wave feminist imaginable. She's She's such a turf. Really is, yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, mon capitaine, what a pleasant surprise. Won't you join us for a little cappuccino and croissant? Baffler, what the hell is happening here? This is supposed to be a camp out, not a pajama party. Is this what you call roughing it? One bathroom for nine people, yes. (laughs) Have you never heard of a little troop called the Red Feathers? They were out there at that same site, camping last week. They chopped down trees and wove their own cloth and lived off of berries and squirrel meat. And never once did they have to go to the bathroom. Must have been the squirrel meat. But then we also get, you know, her little sidekick, Annie, which is basically just Marcy from Peanuts dealing with Peppermint Patty. I mean, she keeps calling Velda Sir. Well, but then at the same time, so does, so does her kid. Yeah. They all call her Sir. But Velda is that person who 
she falls in this very interesting place to me because she's not only dismissive of Phyllis and Troop Beverly Hills because they're they're prissy or they're, you know, hyper feminine or they have money or like they don't know what it's really like to to toughen it and mm-hmm. they're not real wilderness girls in their mind. Which again, like, yeah, that is some like coded turfy thing. Like you're not real wilderness girls. Yeah, there it, it's it's not it's it's so blatantly trying to be in favor of feminism that it is inherently anti-feminist, it's <laughs> which is why TERFs aren't feminists, yeah. which is why the acronym's dumb and we should find a new one. Yeah. Agreed. But then at the same time, she then turns and shits all over Annie because Annie used to work at Kmart. Mm-hmm. So it's like she, you, she keeps lording that like classist yeah. thing over her head so about like, like so you're going to you, be there dealing with the blue light special. Yeah. So Veld is this character who not only hates wealth, but then also hates people who work, quote unquote, like lesser than jobs or, you know, you know, if you're working at Kmart, you're likely living probably below the poverty line because mm-hmm. they don't pay their workers enough, which is why they imploded. Mm-hmm. So I guess closer, like looking at like, maybe she worked at like an Amazon or a Walmart. The likelihood is that that character is living below poverty line, not because like these jobs aren't good so to speak, but because the companies that run them don't pay their employees a living wage. Like, yeah. that's the problem here. We finished watching Superstore recently. <laughs> and I was really emotional because I yeah. love that show. It's like that. Yeah, and and that's what we're dealing with here. So, like, Velda is so confusing because I, I don't know where you stand about a lot of things because you you seem to hate everything that just isn't you. Yeah, like, Velda just wants to feel superior to people. Yes. Like, that's I, I want to know what Velda's backstory is. Who hurt you? For real, though. Like, Velda's got some real issues going on. She's got some stuff she's not working through very well. And honestly, I love Velda as a character because she's such a good villain. And when we were watching this, I was sitting there going, man, I want to watch this as a double feature with Rock and Roll High School. Because it follows, like, a very similar sort of vibe and has a very similar kind of villain. Yeah. And so something that I think people may enjoy about Velda... So Velda Plender is played by Betty Thomas. This is also her last acting role because Betty Thomas then went on to become a director. And something that fills my heart with so much joy is that she directed the Brady Bunch movie and cast Shelley Long in it as Florence Henderson or as Mrs. Brady, which just makes me so happy on so many levels. And something else that's like kind of silly but fun is that at the time of shooting, Shelley Long was a blonde and Velda uh, or Betty Thomas was a redhead. So both of them are wearing wigs in this movie, and they're good wigs. But like, how good is Shelley Long's wig? Oh my god, that That curly red is so iconic. I love it so much. So the character of Phyllis Neffler is actually based on the producer of this film, which I think is very cool. That's so cute. Um, And some of this is actually, you know, based a little bit on her life. Uh, because she was a troop leader. So the whole going on the camping trip and then it raining and then going to the Beverly Hills Hotel instead, like that's real. That's a real thing she did. (laughs) 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 Which I think is really cool. Um, But ultimately, I think this movie has so much heart and there's definitely aspects of it that desperately need to be reckoned with. But I also think is just sort of 
part of the issue with Scouts in general is that there's a lot of indigenous appropriation in this movie. Oh, that is a Scouts problem up and down. But that's yeah. a Scouts problem up like, and down. Like, that's not inaccurate for what it's based on yeah. for this movie. It doesn't make it right or no. acceptable, but that's less of a problem with Troop Beverly Hills and more of a problem with just scouting in general. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of indigenous appropriation and that goes not even just between like scouts, but also um, I know I've told you about this, but anyone listening out there who may have been part of like a youth program as children, you may be familiar with a program called Awanas. (sighs) And Awanas, which stands for like all good workmen are not ashamed or something, they specifically chose like a native motif for all of this because the abbreviation of Awana sounds vaguely like a random sound that indigenous people might be chanting. Isn't that fun? Like, <laughs> holy shit. They've in recent years rebranded and now they have like weird cartoon like... Like, now it's not that. It's every good boy does fine. That's basically <laughs> what the fucking acronym sounds like. Kind of does. They've since rebranded and now it's like this cartoon bear or some shit, which is admittedly a lot better. But at the same time, it's like when that came out, people thought that was so brilliant. and like, oh, this is great. And just like scouts, like it basically Awanas is like Christian scouts. Like mm-hmm. that's the only way I can describe it. Which is double offensive. It's so bad. <laughs> you, know, you know who doesn't really like Christianity very much? Uh, people who were... Uh, not treated very well uh-huh. when when the Puritans came over. Yeah. Hmm. So like that, you know, that's obviously an issue. There's also some weird issues with um, dealing with, you know, like the, like the dictator's daughter and like the mm-hmm. politics and the fact that they always wear sunglasses and that stuff's a little weird. Um, but again, it comes from this weird time capsule place of like, these were jokes that people thought were acceptable and funny. Does not make them correct. Oh, but... yeah. This is a very specific window mm-hmm. that this is capturing. Yeah. And that's one of those things that we bring up pretty regularly is how the teen genre, more than any other genre, is not trying to be timeless. It's trying to capture it a is moment. striking that high, hot iron immediately. That's yes. what it wants. And this movie, yeah. It specifically bullseyed a very, very direct time, and not everything about that time is very good. Nope. Nope, it's not. So I I always feel strange sometimes when I talk about a movie like this that like I love so deeply, because I know that there are probably people where the elements of it that are aged terribly and are straight up harmful maybe why they don't even watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's always something that I think a lot of us who are in positions of privilege have to navigate with because this movie really is a lot about navigating your privileges as yeah. well as, you know, trying not to judge people based on service level information, but rather than it being like, oh, this is a metaphor for racism or whatever, you know, it's putting rich people in a sympathetic role. But I also don't think that at all, I don't think anyone ever feels sympathetic towards the Troop Beverly Hills because they're rich. Like, oh, these poor rich girls. I don't think that's how anybody feels about it. Mm-hmm. I think you watch it and you're like, I feel bad for this child who has like unattentive parents. I feel bad for this child who gets abandoned. I feel bad for this child who's getting ridiculed when she's not doing anything wrong. Yeah, I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm gonna be just projecting defensively of this one but if your whole thing is like boo-hoo these poor rich girls like why are you picking a fight with this movie why are you Mm -hmm. not focusing on what's actually happening here in the text 
for real. Like, that's maybe where I'm getting with the, with that, which, like, yeah, normally it's like, eat the rich. Like, fuck them. Let's let's redistribute money. I get that. But it just feels like a, a real disservice to what this movie is actually saying and all of the good things it is doing mm-hmm. and, like, the topics it is broaching to just dismiss it based on external things that are that are a big problem that don't don't really factor into the uh, the the greater picture here. Yeah. And the I think the the overall heart of a movie like Troop Beverly Hills is one about learning to understand people that are not from your similar circumstances. And I think that it's beneficial to see you know the people in privilege having an experience that I think so many of us are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say like it's haha, now you get a taste of your own medicine because that sounds vengeful and I'm not down with that. There's no vengeance in this movie. No, but that's that's sort of what's happening here. And I think that it's it's an important story to tell because it does remind you that like we're all just humans on a giant rock in a bunch of, you know. We're all just idiots trying our best. We're all just idiots trying our best. And I love that this movie is not afraid to do that and Mm -hmm. i'm i love that this movie is also not afraid to point out that sometimes yeah your lived experiences uh if you're somebody from privilege they do prevent you from seeing how the rest of the world is yeah and it's not afraid to show that either does it very directly Mm -hmm. and i you know i i like that i think that this is a movie that just it makes me feel good and I think there's a lot of interesting elements at play. It's also obviously one of the best, like, kind of camp performances. But at the same time, okay, so go with me on this journey, mm-hmm. right? So there is another pop culture podcast I greatly enjoy called Page 7, which is run by, like, the last podcast on the Left Network. And they did an episode on Elvira. Okay. And I, this is coming back around to my previous thing about, you know, Shelley Long. This is at least the second or third time we've mentioned her in this episode. <laughs> She's so, so good. yeah. So we own a lot of Elvira stuff, including a cardboard cutout that's life size. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> and a salt shaker where her boobs are the salt and pepper. Yeah. Um, so Elvira did an interview and page seven um, talked about it. So I'm I'm obviously paraphrasing here. But Elvira did this interview where she was talking about how she believes as a character that she is androgynous. Mm-hmm. And, of course, like, the light bells went off in my head. I'm like, mmm. Elvira is, like, Elvira, peak feminine. Right, is yeah. peak femininity. But her argument is that when you look at men who dress, you know, f- you know, feminine or whatever, like the, the David Bowies or even, like, Harry Styles at this point of the day, mm-hmm. um, you view them as androgynous when they dress feminine because your brain is going, oh, well, they're supposed to be macho or they're supposed to be they're supposed masculine. to wear a suit not a dress yeah they're yeah. supposed to be wearing these typical masculine clothing and they're not therefore they're now androgynous because you're looking at masculinity based on behavior so you believe looking at them that there is an inherent masculinity to them because they're men and by dressing feminine that makes them androgynous mm-hmm. and elvira says when you look at her she's hyper femme you know pushing into like the bimbo territory of presentation but the way she acts is hyper masculine. Mm-hmm. Like she's so confident and does not give a fuck and is, you know, really down to just do what she wants and take things over while being very, very high femme. And she's like, so why am I not androgynous? I'm just the inverse of what all of these 
quote unquote androgynous men are doing. I'm just doing it in the opposite where I am appearing just as feminine as they are and I'm acting just as like assured and quote unquote masculine as they are, but I'm viewed as a bimbo and they're viewed as androgynous. That doesn't make sense. And I feel that way a lot about Phyllis Mm -hmm. and how she acts because she is this woman who is, you know, super feminine wearing these beautiful like larger than life Every garments outfit, all of them they're all amazing so good she rocks pants more powerfully than any woman on the planet oh my god she's incredible but then at the same time she like she has no problem being like mm, okay so no here's what we're gonna do we're doing this and like taking complete control of the situation which is you know a typically masculine trait like when you take those stupid personality tests that are like what percentage of masculine and feminine mm-hmm. are you it is like the most gender rolled expectation sort of quizzes, so they're not accurate. Yeah. Because, you know, why are we applying masculine or feminine traits to like behavior? It's stupid. So, like, even this whole thing that I'm saying is obviously working within confines mm-hmm. of like how we have socially determined things to be. But that's how I feel about Phyllis. Like, Phyllis is kind of this amazing figure, and I hate that we don't get characters like this anymore. We don't. And you know what? Let's let's just blow the door completely off this conversation, is that when you think of a character like a Phyllis Neffler or you think of Elvira, they are in so many ways, by so many people, the standard of what peak femininity is. Like, peak womanhood, mm-hmm. curves, glamour, makeup, all of those things. But... If you take that character and then apply it to like a drag world, mm-hmm. drag queens are inherently considered androgynous, no matter how feminine they are, because they are skewing gendered expectations. Mm-hmm. And if they are emulating this, you know, caricature, quote unquote, of what women are, of characters like Elvira or Phyllis, then that means that they've basically gone so far that they're being emulated to the highest degree. And mm-hmm. now the odometer has basically broken. Yes. And we don't get characters that are this intense anymore, and we certainly don't get um, really, really, really powerful high femme characters that exist in this same sort of way. Yeah. And I am sad about it, because I, 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 I like to see a powerful high femme woman like this. I do too. And I think that Phyllis Neffler, if we're looking at kind of the hierarchy of a lot of these characters... I do put her at the top. I put her above oh, yeah. Elle Woods. I put her above, you know, Shelley Darlington. I like, I just do. She's the top. And it, it, so much of it is Shelley Long. It's because, absolutely Shelley Long. Because her, everything about her character, because you told me that originally this was supposed to be Bette Midler, wasn't it? So originally Disney wanted to make this movie mm-hmm. and they specifically were like, we want Bette Midler, and the director was like, no, I want Shelley Long. Exactly. So they they turned down Disney because they believed Shelley Long that much. That's crazy pants to me. Yeah, and I don't think I would have loved this movie enough with Bette Midler. Like, Bette Midler would have been fun. It would have been fun. It would have basically been been her doing Beverly, down and out Beverly Hills meets Hocus Pocus. Yeah, it would have been. That's kind of would have been her vibe. It would have been very fun, but Bette Midler to me always has kind of this edginess to her, mm-hmm. no matter how feminine she is. Mm-hmm. It's There's something about her voice, the way she carries herself. Um, I know we talked about it for one of our sleepover commentary tracks on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we covered Big Business, mm-hmm. where it's her and Lily Tomlin, and that's the character she would have been. Yeah. Like the rich version of Bette Midler in Big Business is what we would have gotten in True Beverly Hills. Yes. And don't get me wrong, I like that character a lot. But there's something about Shelley Long and the way she carries herself and this 
effortless confidence. Like Bette Midler's confidence is very similar to like my type of it's confidence. It's kind of defiant. There's a chip on your shoulder. Yeah. Like, fuck you, I'm doing what I want kind of confidence. That's Bette Midler. And I relate to that, which is why I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Whereas Shelley Long's comes from like, it just feels more, I don't know, pure. Like, I just exist this way. She is very airy, but she's not airheaded. And yes. I believe her so much because she's like Mrs. Brady. She's the perfect encapsulation of what Mrs. Brady should theoretically be. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, cool. You're like the mom who's inherently good. And like <laughs> just the, all of these things feel like, yeah, this couldn't have been played by anyone else or at least wouldn't have been as effective with anyone else. And I really, really love this movie for Shelley Long because all of her physical humor, her timing, her mm-hmm. lines... And even, like, these little nuances that I love about her character where she's going through a nasty divorce. And, like, there's points where, like, she's almost causing a California wildfire. And they're like, Mm -hmm. Smokey the Bear says you shouldn't light the fucking ground on fire. And she's like, well, Smokey the Bear's not going through a nasty divorce right now. So she's being kind of, like, jaded and snooty and, like, drinking and smoking. Mm -hmm. And yet when she's at her most depressed and she's, like held up in bed, not getting out, still with a full face of makeup on and her hair looking perfect in her, like, glamorous bedroom. She's not drinking alcohol. She's She's drinking drinking, Evian water. Yeah. She is, she drinks for a good time. She Mm -hmm. drinks when she's socially out with people, when she's having fun. And that little character trait to me is like, so the vibe I want, where it's like, hey, when I'm depressed, I'm going to drink this water. And in a a weird way, it's like self-care where it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, relax your shoulders, make sure you drink water. And it's like, she's in a weird way taking care of herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she and knows it, she's sad. Yeah, and it's like she's crying so much. She has to she has to rehydrate instead of drinking like martinis or whatever it is she's gonna be drinking like when she's mm-hmm. out socially. And like that little character trait is so that that nuance is so impressive and perfect for her for me, and I love it. I also really love that this is a movie that because it's embracing its femininity so much, it does do the thing that I love about the house bunny, where it allows her to have these moments of unprettiness like when she falls in the pool or when she's running from the skunk or when she She falls falls in the mud mud. Mm -hmm. yeah these moments where she's this beautiful figure who's unafraid of looking kind of ugly i love beautiful people who have no problems being ugly and i'm talking about just like oh i just i I gave myself a double chin by position positioning my neck in a way it's like no let yourself be actually ugly and actually real gross like i I, love it i love that and i love a movie where i think a lot of times women are not allowed to be hot and funny we talk about this a lot we talk about this a lot specifically with wrestling wrestling because we have Billy Kay as our You gotta be joking. Oh me. my god, I love her. like Peyton's not getting this much of a chance right now, no, apparently. Billy but, Kay. But Billy Kay god. is hot and funny, and you're not allowed to be hot and funny ever. Like mm-hmm. you can be funny if you're like Amy Schumer or Melissa McCarthy and the joke's kinda like, oh look, you're you're like fat and kind of gross. I'm not like most girls. <laughs> I'm funny. Like, like that's that's what you get. And like it's not a slight against well, it's sort of a slight against Amy Schumer because she's definitely sucks. not a slight against Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, like exactly. You're great. But <laughs> Like, that's how Hollywood paints that kind of thing, where it's mm-hmm. like, you're not allowed to be both. Or at least if you are funny, you need to be sort of approachable funny, mm-hmm. where it's like, you can't be hotter than, like, Alison Brie. 
Or the fact that, like, because we were talking about Superstore earlier, it makes me think of, like, Lauren Ash, who plays Dina, where when it's Halloween and she wears, like, the like the sexy cop outfit every year, the joke is that everyone is surprised at how hot she is. Yeah. Like, that's the joke. And she is. And she is. She it's looks just like, great. wow. She looks amazing. <laughs> um, but I love that this movie is not making the joke being, like, ha ha, hot rich girl fell in mud, let's laugh at her. The joke is that, like, she's committing so hard to being this good den mother and like trying to do something she's with her saving life. saving the fondue. Saving the fondue. She's trying so hard that they allow her to fail. Mm-hmm. That's what we're watching. Like when she falls... She fails in, most of the movie. She fails most of this movie, yeah. Until she starts doing it her way where, mm-hmm. you know, you get cookie time. You get these galas and it's like, oh yeah, a beautiful cape reveal where she's wearing like her oh gold scout uniform with intense shoulder pads and it's it blows incredible. my mind. I I could praise her outfits in this movie. Like they are such a treat to behold. Uh, the Beverly Hotel uh, pajama robe set. Um, uh. Amazing. Like the casual bowling shirt look. Mm-hmm. Oh the my god! The casual bowling shirt. Every time I see that outfit, I'm like, that is an outfit you would absolutely wear. Precisely. In a heartbeat. 80s polka dots. I love 80s polka dots. Personally, I'm the giant bird shoulder dress. Like that's the energy that I want to have. Is just just beautiful, glamorous red dress and a gigantic black crow on mm-hmm. my shoulder, just kind of staring <laughs> at you, being like, yeah, I'm here. I want that. That's, yeah, that's god, the energy I choose to bring. It's in the so world. perfect, and I love it so much. And So I guess that brings us to uh, some exciting news for those that did not know. Obviously, with COVID, things likely will and will change. But there is allegedly a Troop Beverly Hills sequel in the works, which brings me so much joy. I want Shelley Long to be the old... Like, scout leader lady. The one who's in charge? Yeah, Yeah. I want her to come back as that role. I would love if that's what she's done now, is she's, like, one of the most successful scout leaders. Because the thing is, this movie is just... It's about embracing who you are and playing to your strengths and Mm -hmm. not trying to fit into this box or these preconceived ideas of who you're supposed to be because there's nothing wrong with who you are Mm -hmm. unless you're like genuinely a terrible person then go to therapy and do some internalized inventory and figure out why you're not a great person like there's some (laughs) bad people who are involved in this film uh like i don't I, i i as much as i love the intro to this movie you have uh, fucking Mr. Ren and Stimpy likes young girls a little too much. John Kay, who animated this. Uh, he's not the only animator, but like it's very distinctly his it's style. His style. Yeah. You have uh, Mike Love era Beach Boys, who Mike Love is a, a perverted Republican monster. Mm-hmm. So like he's doing, honestly, I love this song. I, it's basically just... Make it big. Yeah, it's, it's basically <laughs> them just doing Kokomo again, but I... I really like it, and we've been singing it on and off for days. I know. So, like, bad people are involved in this movie, but also John Kay has lost all rights to all of his residuals from stuff because he's a monster, and Mike Love sucks, and support Brian Wilson. He's actually a genius. Yeah, very true. I love this movie in spite of bad people literally coming out the gate and doing things that I should be mad about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think Troop Beverly Hills is one of those movies that – for those who have seen it, they love it so much and they champion it. And that's the only people that exist. Like, if you don't like this movie, I think it's because you just haven't seen it. 
Because Troop Beverly Hills... Or you Hills, hate fun. Or you hate fun. That's true. Or you hate women. That's yeah. also true. Yeah. Because Troop Beverly Hills is just such a fun movie that no matter how many years go by, I still find a lot of comfort watching it. And again, I'm speaking from a place of privilege because there are some elements to this that may make other people feel not so great about it. And like, that's that's valid. I mean, we didn't even really talk about the maid and the stereotypical character. Like there, there's some very stereotypical characters of like the help in Phyllis's house. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that her gardener is an Asian man named Ho and he barely talks. And when he does, it's, you know, kind of stereotypical. But he leaf blows clothes and that part's funny. That shit is so So it's funny. like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I understand the mixed feelings that people may have in, in hindsight for this movie, but... I think the messaging of this movie is from a place that is so positive and so much about embracing sisterhood and being true to yourself that I, th- I think that these are the types of stories I wish we told more often. Yeah. It's weird because this movie is so adamantly a pro-woman movie. It is so pro-woman because the there's almost thing- no men. Like the shitty guys get left at the door after the opening credits. And then it's just like pro-woman. It's it's so good at this. Well, the other thing too that I really appre- like genuinely and really appreciate is that it, for as much as Velda throws a bunch of bullshit at Phyllis, Phyllis doesn't shit on Velda for being like macho or being, you know, when, when she comes to the gala and she's wearing kind of, I call them like church basement dresses, like oh, the ones that bad. are like floral pattern with like the, like the doily collars. <laughs> Phyllis doesn't shit on her for it. She's not like, oh, you wore that and is mean about it. She's like, hi, welcome. I've never seen you like this before. Congrats. Here's the check. Isn't it fabulous? Mm-hmm. She's so positive and is like, yeah, I'm nothing like you, but that's fine. Like, it's okay that we're different. I'm just happy you're here. I'm just happy you're here. Like... Phyllis is like a golden retriever. She's just so happy that everyone is here all the time. And then Velda's like an evil, mean cat that's like, fuck you. I hate you. Mm-hmm. Oh. I'm not sure if I have anything else to say about this movie other than about gushing about the little nuances that I love about it. Well, like, then, yeah, that's all great. Like, yeah, please. Well, then I guess uh, Troop Beverly Hills is asking you to the uh, the Wilderness Girls Jamboree. <laughs> thing is, I haven't been to a good jamboree in a while. <laughs> is it a, a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? It's a big yes. My hometown actually used to have an old town jamboree that would monopolize the, uh, the, the, the five-point intersection in front of Town Hall. And it was probably not as much fun as it actually was, but I remember it being really fun. Mm-hmm. Like, let, let's eradicate all of my shitty Boy Scout memories and all of like the anti-femme feminist memories mm-hmm. and let's just let's make new memories with with troop beverly hills at, in all of its glamour and fantastic one-liners and beautiful slapstick Ugh, just i i, I want this movie to win to envelop me because it just <laughs> it feels good like it's, it's an injection of joy into my veins because it's so well acted and so well written and I, I I want to buy the soundtrack so badly. I know. Oh, the soundtrack like, is so Make It good. Big hasn't even really been released on an album ever. It's it's on a single Beach Boys compilation that was only like released in Europe and has been out of print since like 1989. Like I can't get Cookie Time and I want it so bad. I want the four different versions of Cookie I want Time. The, I want the string quartet version of Cookie Time so 
badly. I like if anybody ever drops this thing as like a vinyl release, I will buy it so fast their head will spin because I want this soundtrack. Like <sighs> just oh my god, I will jam to it constantly. Oh my god, yeah, it's it'd be perfect. Uh, I I'll I'll do the Freddy. Yeah. Oh, that'd be cute. <laughs> I read a really interesting article. Like it was. Not anything that I can quote, but it's, you know, it's out there as one of those, like, you know, fun facts about Troop Beverly Hills. And they were talking about how Shelley Long and Lucille Ball are doing, like, a lot of really similar comedy. Mm -hmm. And they even found a video of Lucille Ball, like, in this beautiful, glamorous, caped outfit doing the Freddy. And I was like, this makes a lot of sense now. Like, Phyllis is definitely a character. Written to be a Lucy. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that that makes sense. It makes total sense. Oh, I love that. I would have never connected those dots. Well, I'm glad that I delivered it to you on a plate with cookies. Well, that's the way kind of nostalgia works, right? Like, this mm-hmm. would have been, like, 20 years removed from, like, I Love Lucy. Yeah. So, like, the, it all comes around in, like, a 20, 25-year cycle. So everyone's nostalgic for that specific brand of humor that Lucille Ball gave us. Yeah. And I would like to see more of it. So I'm hoping that, you know, maybe 2021 will be the year that I finally get, like, my new awesome feminist bimbo comedy icon. Bring her back. Give me yeah. one. I would I, love it. I want nothing more. <laughs> and I want nothing more than for us to do the Brady movie at some point. Well, you might get that wish. We'll see. Oh, please. <laughs> I want it. And then we will then we can do a very Brady sequel and I'll be even more happy. Not that I like that one more, but just like it's compounded joy. <laughs> just give me all the Shelley Long. <laughs> Which is so funny because like I didn't even watch Cheers. <laughs> I only know her from movies. So you know what's going to make you like actually mad though? What? This was the movie that she did kind of to break out of her Cheers role mm. and it backfired because this movie didn't perform well and it makes me so angry Whoa. because this is an amazing comedic performance. Y'all are just mean. It's it's really like the 80s version of an Anna Ferris and oh, it's Lucille God, Ball yeah. and it's such an intersection of so many women that I love for their comedy chops and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like go 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 watch this movie. Like yeah. if the same way that I was like, go watch Rock and Roll High School. Go go watch Troop Beverly Hills, Troop and maybe Hills. watch them together because they kind of fit really well, weirdly well together. They do. <laughs> well, friends, I think that takes us out on Troop Beverly Hills. Thank you again for joining us. We love you so much. You can support the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom or our Patreon at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me at BJ Colangelo Harmony. Where are you at? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor underscore trap underscore tour. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can listen to Harmony guest spotting on the podcast Why Our Dads talking about Silence of the Lambs, which is... I will never escape this movie. I know. I'm so sorry. My legacy is defined by that. Why can't people be like, oh, we want to hear you talk about Sleepaway Camp more often? And everyone's like, no, I want to talk about Silence of the Lambs (laughs) because it's not schlock, but it totally is. It really is. (laughs) Thanks again also to the Sonderbombs who lovingly let us use their track title as our theme song. Follow them on Spotify, buy their music. They are the best. And with that, friends, say the last dance for us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye.
This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.